Hello, welcome back to Hattrick. My name is Jordan Dowler Coltman. I am joined this week by Braden Dowler Coltman. Braden, it's just the two of us. And I uh, I got to tell you, I really wasn't in the mood for this following uh, what has just been a dreadful week for the Edmonton Oilers. But, you know, you really pepped me up, got me excited for it. Here we are. So uh, you're gonna have to carry this one a little bit, I think. But but I'm I'm we're gonna we're gonna do our best. We got a few fun topics to talk about, and uh, you know we'll we'll get to it. Let's get to it right now. Here's topic one. Okay, so as I mentioned, the Oilers have been just absolutely frustrating. We'll say uh, as fans to watch. Uh, anyone who listens to the show knows that we're pretty homers when it comes to the Oilers. This is pretty much a three quarters of the show uh, historically has been about the Oilers. So why not? you know, continue with that trend. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers have lost three straight in overtime or shootouts, two of them in shootouts, in fact, and I believe they've lost uh, four, three of their last or four of their last six in overtime, which is also rather frustrating. Um, not, not a great return from the all-star break so far for the Oilers, who are on an absolute heater going into it. And I have to say the Oilers have never done well with like interruptions. When I thought there was a period to- after that. No, the Oilers have never done well with sort of interruptions when they're doing really well. Yeah, like you think back to the COVID f- fractured season where the Oilers were on an absolute tear. Drysaddle was the clear MVP. He was playing out of his mind. And then COVID happened and they didn't, we didn't see them again until August. And when they came into that playing tournament, they were so flat. They were so sort of sloppy. And here we are again. The Oilers had found their mojo. They got Kane back. They looked healthy. They looked strong. They won, I think, six in a row. And then they go into this all-star break. They come out of it and they have just looked sluggish and sloppy and disjointed. And yet they've still found ways to put like five goals on and yet they blow leads. They, they've blown now back to back three, three goal leads in, in two games. And in this game, you know, the, the only time the avalanche ever led was the winning goal. And, and, and for the Oilers, it's got to just be so demoralizing. You wanted to talk about it, Braden. Where are you at right now with this team and sort of where we sit uh, February you know, 20th by the time this is out? We're a couple weeks from the trade deadline. We're sitting just outside of a playoff spot, and yet there's really no one behind that's in a position to catch, but you can't – the others just can't seem to get the traction. That's correct. I, I only want to talk about it because it's so, so freaking frustrating. You try to figure out what to do, what's happening – you know, we come off of a pretty exciting all-star game when it comes to two of our guys um, at, at the very top of the, at the very, very top of their kind of caliber. And then a young rookie goaltender who also makes the, um, the, the, the show and coming into that, we, we were on streak upon streak. You know, like everything was looking great. So that that hiatus, it's frustrating to see now Jack Campbell starting to play so well and then finding himself in these situations where he just cannot keep uh, a lead. And, and no, I don't want to say it's just Jack Campbell here because it really isn't. He has been lights out when it comes to stopping pucks, just not enough to make it so that they can win the game. I, I just don't know what I just don't know what you do. And it's such a tight spot because we know the cap is going to make for a very challenging trade deadline for the, for the Oilers. Um, you try to figure out all the speculation around these big contracts, these big names. We saw a pretty big one with Ryan O'Reilly going to the lease. And then you try to figure out how that can be your team and it, with the trajectory and the, you know, you know, a domino has to fall. They're going to have to pay a steeper price than probably they would want to for for impact going into the playoffs 
I just want to talk about it because uh, it's it's. I need to commiserate and at least relate to other another fan watching this frustrating experience. You know, and these have not been really close games. Like they just have blown pretty solid leads. Like I'm, I'm not even concerned about the offense. It's about finishing games. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing I think that's frustrating is that you're seeing the Oilers, you know doing a lot of the things that we want them to be able to do well for parts of the game and in the last couple of games, obviously early. And that's been a part of the game that the Oilers had struggled with, you know, in recent memory was getting off to good starts. They've gotten leads. They've built up even three goal leads at points. And then they, they just can't sustain. They can't seem to maintain those leads. They can't seem to hold on. They certainly don't have the defensive manpower right now to go to shut down hockey, which they seem to try to do in the third anyway, which I don't understand strategically. You have to accept the, the, the pieces you have. When the Oilers are at their best, it's when they're taking the game to the opposition with a very aggressive forecheck. That's when they're most successful. And they need to continue to do that with a lead, not just when they're chasing. Uh, and they don't seem to be able to do that, or they just don't seem to be coached to do that, or they're just not doing it. I don't know. Um, but it's frustrating because they're a team that is prone to turn pucks over at all times in the game. Um, and so you'd think that strategically you would counter that with some better structural choices in terms of how you aggress, you know, you, you, you change the, the aggression in this game. They've played really well offensively. I mean, you can't, deny that when you're putting up five goals, you should be winning that hockey game, you know, mm -hmm. in the NHL in the modern NHL. Obviously, look, Colorado has equal uh, weapons in so many ways offensively. I mean, we saw Nathan McKinnon score one tonight. We saw him a couple games ago when he played against us score another goal like that, where he sort of just turns on the Jets like Gretzky or like uh, McDavid does, where he can just take over for a moment. And and when you have players like that against you, you know, you have to be able to find ways to shut them down or negate them. And I mean, look, the Colorado Avalanche did a really good job making McDavid a non-factor today. Luckily for the Oilers, they found depth scoring and the depth, Oilers have yeah. had really good depth scoring of, of recent. But what they haven't had is depth defense. They haven't had depth team defense. They haven't had those shutdown opportunities. And you can tell that the team's a little rattled. The team's a little shook. They're not quite sure how to deal with this. Maybe, you know, in two months, if they're in the playoffs and playing well, we can look back and say this was important growth. But in the moment, it's just frustration, I think, that's occurring. And we also saw earlier in the year when the Oilers, as a team, are frustrated, they don't play well. This is a team yeah. that is so uh, heavily influenced by confidence. And when they don't have it as a group, they they can't manufacture it. And well, unfortunately, I, yeah. that's the challenge. There's a look at the pos positive out of this. I do think that they still have the like absolutely the perfect coach for these kinds of situations. You saw the success that it had once he came in when he's talking about the confidence that this team requires. Like this is how often do we see the Oilers in a shootout and then to see them in the shootout back to back nights and then, and then in an overtime game that was just absolutely demoralizing and deflating when, when we're talking about this confidence, it's like, this has to be the moment that that team goes, you know, how, how does that feel? Because and it, it happened to us last yeah. year in, in the playoffs. And this yeah. is, I mean, this is the reigning champions. Like the, yeah. the Colorado Avalanche is it's not. Well, it's what's to... left of them. Most of them are injured. And that's the bigger struggle they're having right now. You've got sure. Landis Cog and Makar out, you know, questionable whether Makar is a serious enough injury to keep him out long term, but he's out right now. 
And they haven't played well this season because of that. They haven't had a healthy roster. So they're underperforming. The thing for the Oilers right now is that they are in two places simultaneously. They're a team that is, you know, ambitious and looking to take that next step. We've had all kinds of speculation all week about what the next move is. If it's a big flashy move, if there's space for, Holland to do something, if there's a dance partner for Holland to do something, and if there's the will for Holland to do something, the challenge is how does he do that? And that's the second part that, you know, at the same time as being that kind of ambitious and all that team, this is a team that's also stuck in cap hell. And and they're trying right now to just move bodies around. I mean, there was all the speculation last week that the only way to get Yamo back in the, the roster was going to be to wave Yessi. They found a way not to do that, but it cost them, you know, two guys who have that been, defense and that yeah that yeah defense. and like like I'm okay with 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 uh, uh, Holloway going down. Frankly, I think he yeah. should have been down there sooner this season. I think that he yeah. needs more time to develop, and I don't think he's getting that on the third and fourth line in the NHL. It's great moving great into goal. the playoffs. Like that, that's sure. absolutely the right move to. to I, push what him I'm there. frustrated by is that we have a guy in like DeHarnay who, look, no one's expecting him to be a top minute defenseman, but he's played really, really well. And you're, you know, you're unfortunately he's a victim of the cap where he's actually played better. I would argue than Broberg or, you know, like he's been one of our more, and, and, and also the style he plays is what the Oilers need right now. They need defensive defensemen who are going to make it difficult in the, in their own zone. And we don't have that right now. We have guys who have skill. Yes, that's true. Look, Tyson Berry's on the score sheet. Like it's those players know what their roles are, but when you have, I mean, there's two goals tonight where Darnell nurse isn't boxing his guy out fine. Maybe that's about size. Maybe that's about skill. I'm not sure, but Vinny, it's a lot harder to compete against down in those positions. Like we need a defenseman. And that's the other thing. Can we just talk about this for a second? We've got all these rumors about what, like Eric Carlson. Is Eric Carlson really the answer for the Edmonton Oilers right now? Do they not yeah, have defensemen? Not who are doing that? <laughs> yeah. Like we need a defensive defenseman. Like we need like an Ekholm or like a, like Draco. a, yeah. A guy who's going to make it really difficult for the opposition to play with them and frankly is going to be a better cap hit a little less like hurdles to overcome yes we want a flashy move everyone wants a flashy move it's fun look at toronto and how much excitement is buzz comes around ryan o'reilly joining them but is ryan o'reilly really the the piece the leafs were missing or is it just all piece right so well and i don't forget about noel Chari. this is pretty solid depth that's gone to toronto yeah i mean <laughs> you do you want you want something of impact especially when we, I, I just i'm so sick of the do they do it now do they you know, worrying about a, a first round pick as an asset as if like having Connor mcdavid isn't the main priority and focus there's no way that they shouldn't be making swings i just worry that this kind of you know this kind of momentum pressures the situation to a place of you know misstepping or, or, or taking a massive swing at something like you're trying to say with, with well, Eric Carlson. I think it could go two ways because I think either it motivates your general manager to make a move because he sees something's not working, but that doesn't seem to be Ken Holland's motivation. I mean, we've seen, yeah. look at how long he dragged his feet on Dave Tippett went last season when it was clear that it wasn't working. This is not the kind of guy who makes a knee jerk reaction. Every year, even in Detroit, he was like barely yeah, a, a trade very, very guy. conservative general manager. He does not want to make his moves there because he knows you can get burned. The reality is right now, the Oilers may get burned if they do nothing uh-huh. and they may get burned if they do something. So he has to be cautious and he is being cautious, obviously. But the reality is I don't think the answer is in the room for the next step. 
And that's the challenge. They have to figure out how to get something to work. And I'm not sure how to do that. And I'm not sure they know how to do that. That's, I think, the equally frustrating part inside that room. Um, but, you know, we're going to see. We're going to see what I guess happens there. Final thoughts on this one? I think Jack Campbell can still be trusted in net. Like, I don't think that this is at all a consideration around how he's been playing. I do, I do think it was a good move to kind of ensure that his, um, his play was able to, you know, get in only in so much as like Stuart Skinner is a clear bona fide all-star and, and to kind of, you know, give him still an opportunity to, to be in it. Yeah. I just like, those are the guys you have to, you have to rely on. And I'm yep. not at all concerned about the goaltending situation this year. No, I think the Oilers goaltending is fine. I think that both of them have space to play better. We've seen them play better even this season, but at the same time, you look at like, let's just use today's game. For example, I mean, there's at least three of those goals that Jack Campbell either didn't see or had no chance at the other two. He probably wants back. Or in the third one in overtime, I mean, I don't think, I mean, that's a weird situation. It's three on three at the end. Everybody's pretty exhausted. You're, you know, at altitude, la, 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 la. I thought he played, he played fine. He played well. He played at an acceptable standard, we'll call it. You know what I mean? And he has been playing at least that well recently, not like earlier in the season where he was struggling. And there's a very big difference. You're right. I think the Oilers goaltending is not where we need to be focused. It's defensive play both from their defensemen and equally from their offensive players that need to continue to contribute more defensively. I don't need to see Leon Dreisaitl turn more pucks over at the blue line. That's unacceptable for a guy at that level. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's leave it there for now. That's, that's uh, topic one. Topic two this week is brought to us by the Ordinary Podcasting Network's merchandise store. You head over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com right now. You will see that brand new merchandise has been dropping for the last week and a half. New items for a couple of our biggest shows are available now. You can go find a awesome sweatshirt and hat combo for running down the clock. And the MCU and Me podcast has a whole bunch of t-shirts. Trust me, there will be spoilers. Head over there today grab something to represent your favorite podcast all right let's jump to topic two now i know you and christian have an episode coming up this week about uh basketball we're well over halfway in that league as well lots of big trades that have gone down obviously the durant to the suns was a huge thing and uh i mean Kyrie. i mean there's lots of moves that have happened and lots of deals being done the trade deadline in the nba falls before the all-star game which is always kind of interesting or at least what has been this year the All-Star Game went this weekend. Um, we've talked about All-Star Games already this year. We talked about the NHL one and the Pro Bowl recently, and we both kind of agreed that they're a little silly. Can you tell me why the NBA is or isn't better than the other All-Star Games, or is it as equally perplexing? I think it's much better than the other uh, All-Star Games. I think that what the NBA does so well is it's a team or it's a it's a league that really focuses on the individuals the players like who they are the personality the um the the culture is very much influenced by who uh you know the role models of the league but then also they take into account what the fans want and and the consideration of that, you know, how this all-star game has evolved, even how the NBA has evolved, even in the last 10 years to be a lot more fan oriented. Um, They're, they're always kind of tinkering with how they want to do it. We've seen, you know, we've seen um, North American players versus European players 
all of a sudden kind of shift into this um, east and west and now more into a schoolyard pick, which eventually turned into what we saw this weekend, which was they're going to make the picks the, you know, minutes before the game, which it's just, it's, it's much more fun. There's, there's, there's a, uh, an interest. We get to see kind of the fun of, of the game itself. And then they kind of change like each quarter is it's, it's not the rules of the game. I just think there's so much more fun that they do even with the skills comp there's, there's, um, there's just a lot more, yeah, a lot more fun. The okay, one so thing. So let's talk about before. Okay. Give me your one thing. Oh, I, I had one, one contest that I, I think we should, um, the, the NBA should really consider for ne- for next year, but maybe like we'll, new, I'll leave it like to a the new last. skill. Yeah. I'll leave it to the last. Uh, okay. Well, let's talk about the skill competition for a second. Cause I do want to get your thoughts on all of this. So the skill competition obviously really is, I don't even know what two, like most of the events are. There's two main marquee events, obviously every single year, and they've become very iconic because li- a little bit like the home run derby or something like they, they, they've done a very good job of marketing and selling it. And we've seen some very iconic dunks. We've, you know, we think of Vince Carter and the whole, like it's over and, you know, used to have superstars in those competitions. That's kind of also gone away. Like the dunk contest used to, I think be the premier. I think in some ways the three point contest has it, in recent years kind of eclipsed it because we've seen such a proliferation of three, three point shooting. I mean, Larry bird used to go out there and win it every year. And it was kind of like, okay, whole hum kind of boring. And now you've got, a lot everybody shoots threes you got the big guys shooting threes we've had big guys win we've had all kinds of different players do it so it, it's kind of become the big thing but this the, the the dunk contest is still as you say a great opportunity that the nba offers its players who are interested in doing that to like show off a little bit of i don't know like the personality of the of the sport right it, it's not to call it the entertainment street, street ball but like this is a part of basketball that doesn't necessarily exist the same way in in our other mainstream sports which is the that everywhere across north america on hard courts in you know schoolyards and at community parks and wherever else there's there's guys and girls out there every single day playing you know relatively competitive basketball pickup games right everybody's anybody who's out of a certain height to try to cool dunk or try to you know played horse and done some weird trick shots everybody gets a concept of it so now you've got the best in the world doing it but is it really good for the sport when you have a guy who's not in the nba winning it we have a g league player matt mcclung winning the slam dunk contest this year this guy's not only not in the all-star game he's a ringer who comes in for this He's not even in the NBA. This guy, his annual salary this year is going to be $106,000. He won $100,000 by just winning the dunk contest. He just doubled his annual income from this one 15 minutes of, of physical activity. Tell me yeah. that's good for the, like, how, come on. Well, I'll tell you why it happened. I don't think it's great. I think it's funny. And it also gives this guy an opportunity to be in the spotlight for that moment. And after the dunk contest we saw last year with a handful of actual NBA players, it was an embarrassment. It was a terrible dunk contest. And after that happened, people were like, shit, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to do that. Now, that's not where NBA players said, I don't want to do this. I think forever NBA players went, this is this is a very intense High skill pressure event that takes yeah, place, but, but elite players used to do it. Jordan did it. Are, yeah, Vince Carter did yeah. it. It was Brady a different era then. Yeah, had, I mean, we had years where where we had 
like Howard doing it back then, right. and even in recent years, like Aaron Gordon and and Adam was Levine the best were phenomenal, of all right? Twenty sixteen in Toronto. But that's what I mean. Like, those were contest. NBA, players. and the wrong person won. However, <laughs> it you're right. You're right. We do want to see that. We absolutely want to see that. But you ask any of these guys, and they did in the All Star game this this last weekend. They asked the guys, "Will we ever see you in the dunk contest?" No chance. There's no chance. They, they so how do they how is they how is that good for the NBA? It. They have to incentivize yeah. it better. They have to incentivize it. Right. And, and it's interesting. We have seen too, like it grow, and I think it influenced other leagues like the NHL. But we've seen it grow into much more of entertainment of an entertainment of event like the, more props more we saw blake griffin dunking over cars we saw dwight howard coming in into a, a telephone booth coming out of superman and then we saw nate robinson dunking over superman in a in all green because he was kryptonite like there's 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 uh much more of a an entertainment event taking place yeah, the contest. And i think that some players don't want to be a part of necessarily um, but it's high pressure. I mean, if you don't make the first dunk in a dunk contest, ooh, you got a lot of convincing to go. Like it's it's a hard thing to do, and and then it's also like completely subjective. You've got a panel full of retired players or Hollywood superstars who somehow know what's you know a good dunk or not. So I think what Mac McClung did, although he's not in the NBA, he he played with LeBron a couple of years ago in Los Angeles. Like he's on the verge. He's he's one of those you know players who could absolutely be on an nba team um but he's it's it's so much fun to see guys who are like five six dunk they're, they're the small guys dunking is always really exciting and his dunks were exceptional like this the rotation he got on his last dunk um you know double pumps it's pretty it's pretty exceptional he dunked over to a guy who is uh sitting on like somebody else's shoulders for his first dunk um so yeah, he came out impressed. I thought the dunk contest was was really good this year. All right. Any last thoughts on the NBA All-Star game or you want to save it for your other show? I want to see a one-on-one contest. Tim mentioned this. Ooh, this I think that'd fun. be fun. That's what you always talk about. You talk about the GOAT. It's like who could beat who in one-on-one. I think that would be fun. But do you think the players would do that really? There's an well, opportunity they'd for have them to... to be made to look like an idiot. They're not going to go for that. You'd, you'd have to do like a King's Quarter, like a best of kind of a thing. You'd have to. I mean... Like you said, playing on do the do the do the all stars participate in the other skills, or is there no obligation by being there to do any of it? Uh, there's, I don't think there's obligation to do not it. Not like get, in the NHL, they all have to show up and to. have to do some skill, even if you, they're the passer in the. Yeah, skills. you probably get like asked to. You know what was weird was they they always do like the what's that skills comp? Essentially, the one that's like. Yeah, all the best skills you're, you're weaving in between pylons and yeah, there's yeah, a layup like a and a dunk. Yeah. The relay. And they had they had it in teams. I think they tried this last year with three different teams. So there's a rookies team, um, a home team, wherever the All-Star game's happening. And then they've been doing this like a Tentacumpo team. So like the three brothers play, but Giannis was injured. So it was like Thanasis and Alex. Alex, who's also in the G League. Thanasis, who I think is... Uh, a bench player somewhere now like these aren't even all-stars at all and yet they're in these skills competitions so it's yeah. it's i mean it's some of it's quite quite silly and yeah. it's not quite the best of the best in the moment but it's all fun and games it's and i think the fans have a really good time i know i do with the with the nba um 
just with what they do and how they present it. The, the entertainment's a lot of, a lot of fun. And then, and then there's like celebrations of honoring guys like LeBron who um, passed Kareem and Carl Malone. And it's good. It's good for the sport. They do a good job. All right, let's leave it there. If you're looking for a new podcast, you should check out the Ellipses Thinking Podcast, hosted by Greg Dollar Coltman. Each new episode, Greg sits down with a guest to talk about where they are on their creative journey. You can listen now anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay, uh, final uh, topic this week. We're going to talk about the Formula One season, which is on its way in uh, just under a week and a bit here. We're going to get our first uh, testing of the off season. And then uh, the first weekend of March, we are in Bahrain for the opener of the 2023 campaign. Lots to talk about there. Uh, we will be off next week. Uh, there will be no episode of Hattrick, but on this very feed, you will hear the the uh, preseason uh, special, the, the, the first episode of this season of the Pit Stop podcast, which is another show from our network. Uh, Tyler Walzak and myself will talk Formula One. We'll run you through all the teams, but Braden uh, is an alumni yes. as the original host of Pit Stop. Uh, you're stepping away this season um, due to just... I'm retiring out. from the yeah. F1 broadcasting. But, but <laughs> we wanted to give you the first crack at talking about this off season with me here and talking about what we know about the teams, the cars, everything going into this season. So we thought we'd spend one topic with just the two of us because Elliot doesn't know what the heck he's talking about when he talks about just one, and he just keeps going on yeah. and on about Red Bull. So uh, we don't have to worry about that. Let's start here. Um, for you, what are you, what are you, what's, what are you most excited about or looking forward to seeing as we get the season underway here in a week or so? The cars, baby. I just love deliveries. I, I'm, uh, it's all very, <laughs> it's all very fun to see a new design on a car. Um, big fan of the McLaren car, what they came out with, uh, that Google, the Google Chrome wheels are pretty, pretty fun. I don't know, man. Like I, I really haven't been following too much of any, any updates or changes. I'm super excited to see some of the new race, uh, drivers, Piastri. Um, you know, it's always fun to see, a driver that you're familiar with in a new seat, Pierre Gasly, uh, the French connection at Alpine. It'll be kind of cool to see. And then I think just to like off the hop, there's no real uh, understanding of who's going to be at the top or at the bottom or in the mid. So I'm, I'm pretty interested to see kind of how the grid lines up um, as we, as we progress in the early part of the season, are there any major upgrades to the, to the cars this year? Like last year it was pretty big when it came to, trying to deal with the porpoising and the well most of the car design was quite um quite originated or original yeah so we had a new set of regulations last season which uh, obviously remain in effect and we've had a few minor tweaks to them you know but the major look and feel of those cars the ground effect all of that remains this is what they'll be with now for the foreseeable future until we find out when the next set of regulations will come in 2026 we'll see the biggest change uh, which is when we get our new power unit regulation change so that's when we're going to see the new engines they're going to be more efficient they're going to be a whole different system of uh of power for the vehicles that's why we'll get partnerships like Red Bull and Ford coming in. We know that Audi is going to be joining the grid as a power supplier. So there's lots of different um, 
uh, news that'll continue to trickle out about that. But as far as answering your question, not really yet. We don't have a lot of major changes uh, to the regulations, but one of the biggest changes goes to the first thing you mentioned, which is liveries. The biggest thing you're going to notice when you take them all in totality is the amount of black. And it's not because they're being painted black. It's because every single team has recognized that leaving the black carbon fiber unpainted will help them reduce the weight of the car. Shut up. So Mercedes- Get out of here, really? Mercedes, for example, has gone back to the all black livery that they had for two years as a response to the Black Lives Matter movement. But it's only partially because they like the black livery. A lot of it is strategic. Reducing the amount of paint on the car is a dramatic weight loss. And most cars, including the Mercedes, were overweight last season in terms of what their expectations were. Drag was increased, all of that. So what they've recognized is that by reducing that amount of paint, having portions of of the bodywork that are basically just raw black carbon, they are reducing the weight. If you actually look at the Mercedes car, the only part that's painted is basically a stripe from the nose all the way across the top of the bodywork. The entire sides, all the sides, side or lack no, of the side pods. It. I'm looking is, at it. There's is, a side here. There's no paint on those. There's a green strip on the side. Okay. Oh, sorry. Other than the green strip. You know, what the, the heck? green <laughs> striping. That's it. But a lot of so, the bodywork's not. That's why Haas has gone with a very much more black. So for, black yeah, for the, the teams top. that don't have that, like I'm looking at Alpine's they are making, still quite blue and Aston's got its green correct. and Williams blue. We will and, see whether or not there is a diff, an advantage or disadvantage to that, wow. but those were actual strategic decisions. Do the you other think big, that's actually paint though? Or, or, or did they use vinyl? Like, can they go with something lighter to... I'm sure it's the lightest paint that they can work, but it is paint. Oh, there's so there's such scientists in that sport it's oh, yeah. so crazy well it's aer- the aerodynamics that are there are rival that's thing. the sport rocket sport or re- rocket um science you know space <laughs> travel all that shit like nasa's aeronautics department is equaled by some of the engineers that are working in formula one the only other sport i think in the world that has a the same level of sort of technological advances like the america's cop and sailing where these guys are divine design- yeah, like, designing these airfoils where the you know the 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 Sailboats literally lift out of the water on top of these airfoils. It's un, it's unbelievable. But Formula One is right up there. And that's what the sport is. The, we're talking about hundreds of seconds being the difference, right? So Mercedes average pace off of Red Bull, a team that won more races than any team had ever won in a season. Their average pace differential was less than a hundredth of a second. And they only won one race. That's the difference in this sport. So you mentioned three things. You talked about the livery. We kind of addressed that. You talked about the new drivers. I want to spend a second on that. So you, 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 you mentioned, I think two of them, but let's really quickly run down it. Mercedes, same drivers, Ferrari, same drivers, Red Bull, same drivers. So we know who those guys are. Then there's a lot of shuffling going on. Let's talk about uh, Aston Martin. We have a veteran. In fact, we have the most senior driver to ever drive in formula one more race starts than anyone in history. Fernando Alonso, with the Canadian Lance Stroll. Very interesting combination because you have all of that Wiley veteran experience and you have a driver who is continuing to try to get better. Obviously, he's not reached what he probably believes his potential is. That's an interesting combo. And Alonso last year, I think, dragged Alpine even further ahead than they were technically ready to do. So I'm really interested to see what he can do at Aston Martin. They have a five-year plan to try to get to the top of the, the table. I don't know if they'll get there, but it's an interesting choice to have Alonso there. You mentioned the French team, Alpine, Ocon, and, and Gasly. It's an all-French connection now, but we also have two drivers who have a very rocky history. So we'll see how that plays out. And we know that the French can be a bit dramatic. 
we have the same team at Haas. So that's a team that remains the same with Zhao and Bottas. Um, Yuki Tsunoda now has a new teammate, obviously, in Nick DeVries, who has been around Formula One for a long time, but is really looking for that opportunity. He's got it. Haas upgrades to an experienced driver, Nico Hulkenberg. So that's going to be an interesting combination of Kevin Magnussen and Hulkenberg. He, uh-huh. they've, yeah, they both have driven. They, 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 they know what they're doing. And then you have Oscar Piastri at um, at McLaren alongside Norris, a team again that struggled last year and I think was disappointed with their results. They'll be looking to improve. Williams gets a new driver. They get the American Logan Sargent out of IndyCar. That'll be a really interesting uh, driver to watch because obviously Formula One is really keen on continuing to grow their market in the United States. And I think he's an exciting new young driver, not the American I think everybody wanted in Formula One, but the one we're getting, um, which is great. And I think overall, what's exciting is that when you have new drivers, even new drivers in new places, there's so many storylines in every single race because they're figuring out all, a lot of it out. Some guys adapt really quickly to new cars. Some guys don't. And it'll be fun to see how all of that shakes down and, 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 and plays out. I got to say, I'm sad to see that Danny Ricardo's not on the track anymore. Yeah, I think you're not alone. I think he's obviously become a fan favorite through through the Netflix series. But I also think that that's a great example of how the Netflix series has influenced a lot of the people um, who came to the sport through that opinion of what the sport is. And I think that that's an interesting con- storyline continuing to go forward. Because a lot of people for whom their experience with the show, you know, really is more shaped around the narrative there we're going to get the new season coming out this week too we haven't even talked about that so that's always a storyline going into the season how do they edit it what choices did they make i think we were kind of all in agreement last year that we felt like the show had kind of lost a little bit of its sort of i don't know uh, shine or zest or whatever as it's Mm -hmm. continued to grow and obviously a show that goes into five seasons is bound to have uh a recency bias people want it to be what it used to be and it can never kind of be that but that's the same thing in formula one you know everyone for years and years and years complained that you know oh mercedes always wins it's so super boring and then when things get shuffled up the same thing happens oh red bull always wins oh it's super boring yeah. it's just it's how the sports the sport is done the last thing you said is that you didn't feel like there was a clear sense of who's at the top and who's at the bottom I kind of feel like I disagree on that one. I think we still have three teams at the top and I think everybody else in the middle is going to sort themselves out pretty quickly. I don't think Williams is ready to take a huge step forward. They'll be at the bottom. The big question for me is whether or not Haas can rise. Cause I think that they have been in three years of purgatory trying to figure out how to get better. And I think that they have potential to do that. They have more experienced drivers and we saw some just moments of, of optimism from them, but it's going to be a fight between Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes at the top. There's no question about that. There's nobody else right now who's poised to get in there. The question is, does Red Bull be, is Red Bull able to maintain the momentum that they carried through last season? Did the lack of wind tunnel time as the punishment for being over the cap in 2021 hurt them? Or will they pick up right where they left off and be dominant? And then the question is, is Ferrari ready to take the next step? They have a new team principal. They have a lot of pressure as they always do at Merce- at Ferrari. And then it's Mercedes. It's the question, can they bounce back? Did they, oh, did they yeah. fix the fundamental problem with the car? They found a lot of success late last season, which tells me that without changing the floor, which we believe is the biggest problem that car had, they found other ways to be fast. They won a race. They competed in the last couple of races. Can they fix the fundamental flaw that was making them slow? 
And can they can they win some races? Is George Russell ready to push Lewis Hamilton as the to become sort of the the top dog there, or is this the t- Lewis's chance to get back on top? And that's the big storyline oh for Mercedes. So I, I, I'm just worried that Fred Red Bull's just gonna run away again. <laughs> like Ferrari came and out so might. hot I mean, at the top. That's the reality, but we don't know. I think it will be very interesting. It always is as we come out of the winter testing, which we're gonna get here in a week to find out where the teams are. Um, we know Mercedes had some problems at their shakedown with their engine. Have they fixed that? Will they be ready to go? We were also told that they are going to have a lot of early season upgrades. So that'll be interesting. If they start slow in Bahrain, how quickly can they get the pace? And we also have no idea what Red Bull is going to bring because they actually unveiled last season's car with new livery. It was there was nothing functionally different about the car that they presented. A lot of teams present a car that looks a lot different. We know Mercedes has made some changes because it's visible on the car. Haas, lots of changes. The most interesting one, I think, is the Aston Martin, which is radically different. It's almost a completely different concept. Their side pods are ripoffs of Red Bull. Their front wing is a ripoff of Mercedes. Their tail wing is a ripoff of Ferrari. They are trying a whole bunch of new things. There's very little mm-hmm. of last season's car still in that design. Whereas a team like Red Bull literally brought out last year's car, put it out there and pretended like it was this season's car. We have no idea what they're actually going to give us. And, you know, they're the front runners. So anyway, do you want to make some bold predictions? Who do you think wins the drivers and constructors championships before we've even seen the cars on the track? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Last year, I was wildly wrong in my anticipation that McLaren (laughs) would be on podium 75% of the season. Um, I think think they'll have a much better season than they did last year, um, McLaren. But I think the – let's go driver. The driver, I have – I just – I don't know how I can't – no, I'm going to go against the grain. Verstappen is going to fall. Hamilton will come back on. Wow. Yeah, Hamilton will win. This, wow. This, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's the it. Come on. Works. The only way that works come is on. George Russell is the ultimate wingman. So that's a fascinating, fascinating storyline. And you know what? The reason I'm making this bold prediction is that stripping that paint was the, the main, the key factor that, that blew my mind and it will probably blow everyone else's mind to see Lewis Hamilton back at the top. And the constructor, I guess Red Bull, they'll probably win a bunch Wow, so of Hamilton wins the, the driver's title, but Red Bull wins the constructors. Yeah, because that's, that's if, a that, bold that's take. If both, that's if both yeah. drivers, yeah, that's what that's the take I'm taking. So that, that leads me to think <laughs> then that you're expecting Sergio Perez to be a bit more aggressive this season and prevent Max from getting the clear win every single time because that means the team's doing well, but Max isn't getting all of those points. And I said it better myself. Wow. Well, I can't give you my bold predictions because I have to save them for the other show, but I like those ones a lot. Who do you think anyway. is going to crash first? The first y- crash Yuki of the season. Sonoda. Oh God. It'll Yuki, be Yuki won't finish a DNF. It'll be, it'll be Yuki or it'll be, uh, you know, it might be Logan Sargent and Matt Williams. So we'll oh, see. Yeah. That's a good one. We Taking have a lot a of new corner. features uh this season we're going to do some fun awards each week we're going to have some fun sort of games we're going to play and then we also have this is the one i gotta put a call out here for we have a new segment called mail box 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 where we're going to have listener questions every single week so if you are a formula one fan or even formula one adjacent and you have some questions about formula one maybe some specifics about things that are going on during the season 
or just in general, you know, you, you don't understand what porpoising is, or you want to know more about livery or whatever, you can send us your questions. We have a, a, a mailbox now that you can send yeah, us no, questions no, no. to. You have a mailbox box. Sorry, a mailbox box box that is pitstop at ordinarypodcasts.com. So send us that email, leave us your name in the email. We'll get your questions on the show. Each week, there'll be a new question from the fans in the mail box, box, box. All right. Thank you, Braden. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate you uh, rousing me to do this. I wasn't uh, really in the Arousing mood, but... you to do this? No, 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 no. Not arousing. Rousing. Not arousing. Yeah. Rousing. Okay. Go, go check your, check your dictionary. Uh, we are going to not have an episode next week. As I already, as I already said, we will have an episode of the pit stop podcast on this feed. If you haven't already heard of it, it will be here as a little preview. And until we are back, which will be the first week of March, we will have had the trade trade deadline that weekend. So there will be lots to discuss, lots to talk about in the NHL. We will be, it'll be a race weekend for Formula One, so we'll have lots to talk about there. We'll have basketball to talk about. We'll have all kinds of fun stuff. Braden, when does baseball start? I know this show is basically a baseball podcast uh, at this point. End of March. I think it's end of March. So we've wow. got we've got them already in spring training, or at least kind of early workouts in. Do those people take breaks, or like they get like two weeks off at Christmas, and then they have to get back out there and throw balls at each other? Baseball? They just went back. They've right. had like four months. Isn't that Ugh, the usual offseason? It feels like it feels like baseball never ends. Okay. I'll have and to, you'll nor have to should it ever. You'll have to rouse me for baseball when the time I comes. will certainly arouse you to watch all of the baseball. All right. Look, until then, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, you can find out more about uh, our show or all the other shows on the network by heading over to ordinarypodcasts.com. There's a merch store there too. You can check out merchandise from many of our shows. And As always, we appreciate your listenership. If you don't already, please subscribe. And until the first week of March, that was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.